Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another amazing episode of the Leadership Podcast. Folks, my name is Jared Hogue, and I'm joined with the one, the only, Roman Don't I Love a Burger Johnson. Well, you make me sound like I'm some sort of like unhealthy guy who just eats burgers all the time. I don't well, know if I like that middle nickname, Jared. But, I do like burgers, though. <laughs> but it's true. You love a good burger. I do love a good burger. Um, probably my favorite in town. If, uh, I'm sure other towns have them too. It's Smash Burger. Uh, yes. It's, as far as like a chain restaurant, if we're talking chain restaurant, yes, yeah. uh, I would say shout out to Smash Burger. They got a pretty good burger. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Then you said that's in Tulsa. So outside of Tulsa, what is your favorite burger? Uh, I mean, I gotta go. I gotta go with the classic In-N-Out burger just because I don't have it. Like, if I think right. if I had an In-N-Out burger in town, I I would probably not think it was the best but since it's like i can't have it all the time it is it's gotta be the best that's interesting that's interesting yeah. i think just even- like when one time back a long time ago i didn't used to have a crispy cream donuts in tulsa um and they, we used to get them like in florida when we went on trips or whatever and it was like crispy cream is the most amazing donuts and like i would i'll wait in a line for 10 hours to get one but then when they come to tulsa after like a year they're old hat and nobody freaking cares I, that's but they're, valid. They're, they're still good donuts, though. <laughs> that is valid. Uh, I I do think if I lived in the same town as an In and Out Burger, I don't think it would become old hat. I I do love In and Out Burger. That that's it's not a good just burger. that's not just my favorite burger. That's my favorite restaurant is In and Out Burger. It's a little like sad. Of all I, I the restaurants of all the restaurants. Like- if like given like the op- you're okay you're, you're like on death row and yeah. you're like sir you, you we have one last meal for you i don't know if they actually do this but i feel like they should or maybe they do they do you have one last meal you're gonna choose in and out burger i'm gonna choose i would like two single burgers with ketchup mustard pickles and lettuce i would like an order of fries and the biggest sweet tea as cold as you can get it in ice not even a double double no i do single patties no, I do singles. Singles? Yep. But I eat, I'll eat two of bread. them. bread. Nah, man. That's where it's at. You got to have the right bread to bun ratio. Exactly. Right bread to wait, bun wait, ratio. Bread, bread to bun? Yeah. <laughs> you mean wait. bread to burger? <laughs> Dang it. Yes, bread to burger. <laughs> oh, man. I know. And I, th- I believe the, the correct bread to burger ratio is two patties to one bun. That's, you know, that's valid. We can agree to disagree. We can agree we can. Maybe. Hey, hey sh- uh, shoot us a comment at creative underscore sheep. Uh, on what what is the correct burger to bread ratio, specifically when it comes to In and Out Burger, or the the best bun to bread ratio, whatever <laughs> whatever you choose there, uh, feel free to hit us up on that. Uh, Roman, this is episode sixty four of the cre- of the Leadership Podcast, um, and uh, I feel like before we dive into this episode, we've got to give the people what they're waiting for. We've got, we got to provide. To. We got we got to give the weather update. We got to give the weather update. How's how's it going there in Tulsa? Uh, it's a it's a cool. Uh, I'm gonna get accurate with this. I'm gonna pull out my phone and I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at the weather app. So you talk about Boston. Yeah. Uh, while so, you do that. Yeah, I'm I'm living in in Central Mass, Central Massachusetts, uh, and I'm realizing up here in the Northeast that uh, the weather is better than it is in Tulsa. Um, I'm, I'm assuming here very shortly, in fact, it'll probably be about 100 degrees at 100% humidity in Tulsa. 
And it was 83 here today, but it was a beautiful 83. Uh, Very low humidity. And, uh, you know, it is is raining a little bit, but those uh, spring showers bring bring May flowers. Am I right? Amen. But what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims. Man, you ruined my punchline. In Tulsa today, it's a uh, cloudy currently. It's 68 degrees. The high today was forecasted as 80 degrees. Sunrise coming up at 6.47 a.m. Sunset is at 7.59 p.m. <laughs> this might be my new favorite segment. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quickly becoming my least favorite segment. So. That's, that's very fair. As is everyone who's listening right now. <laughs> Folks, like I said, this is episode 64, 64. Roman, if you would, just fill us all in on how it is that we're able to continue to do this wonderful show. Jared, we're, we're able to do this show uh, because of our you and I's continued passion for helping leaders grow, number one. But number two, it is because it is brought to you by uh, Creative Sheep, and that is creativesheep.org. And uh, we are your one-stop shop for custom and pre-made media for the church. So if you're looking for uh, some uh, graphics or some videos for your church, check out creativesheep.org. Whether you want something pre-made or you want something custom, we got the hookup. That's at creativesheep.org. Yeah, folks, go check it out. And today, episode 64, we've got Brian Job joining us. Brian has been a friend of mine for many, many years now. Um, and you know, he's mostly been involved full to his full-time job. Anyhow, has been in the marketplace. He's been actually working in the gas and oil industry. Mm. Um, and he, he's, uh, would you say he's a tycoon? <laughs> he's, he's quickly getting there. He's got a, f- just a fascinating story. Brian, uh, had a quick rise to success, had some, uh, very ambitious goals lined out for his career and achieved them actually much quicker than he thought he would. And um, actually kind of found himself uh, searching for more and and wondering, now what? And uh, he's got a, a phenomenal story that we're actually going to have linked over in the show notes where he goes into great detail. Church on the Move did a, a beautiful story about this, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but, you know, Brian and I walk through a, a myriad of things in this conversation, telling his story, and uh, we talked about just just uh, gaining favor in the workplace. He has got an unbelievable story in that he he still works full-time in the gas and oil industry, but has just recently become a member of the DLT at Church on the Move. That's the directional leadership team. These are This is the team of people that provide the direction of the church, the entire organization. And he's doing that as a part-time volunteer. So a very high-level leader on in volunteer status. It, it's just a, a phenomenal idea, an incredible conversation. Um, but the idea of how this came about actually came from his employer, the gas and oil company that he works for. They're the ones that floated this idea out there for him to be able to do both. Um, and so just the favor that he's gained in working there, he talks a lot about that. We talked about finding your purpose um, and how he kind of stumbled into his and that it was a, a lot easier finding it than he realized, that it was all kind of tied back. And I don't want to give too much away. And we also talked quite a bit about how business and ministry collide. Uh, if you've listened to this show for any amount of time, uh, we talk about that a fair amount of how business and ministry really aren't that different. 
And so love having people on that, that have that same heart and, and sentiment and just really understand that life is about people, period. No matter what industry you're in, no matter what you do, it's all about people. And so it's a really great conversation with Brian, um, who, like I said, He's, he's leading an incredible team. He's a stakeholder in multiple companies uh, at the company that he works for in Tulsa. But in addition to that, he is now serving at a very high capacity at Church on the Move. And so, uh, Roman, I think without further ado, let's get to our conversation today with Brian Job. Well, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I'm, I'm so pumped to have you here. Man, thanks, Jared. We, I know we've known each other for a long time, and I'm, I'm really excited to be with you guys today. Absolutely. Well, hey, for those out there listening, uh, why don't you give us a little uh, background, like where you are, what you're doing, and how you got there? Yeah, you bet. I'm I'm 40 years old. I'm married to JJ. I have three kids, Cooper 12, Chase 10, and Eleanor 3. We live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and essentially I work in oil and gas. Um, grew up around the Tulsa area. Parents divorced when I was 12. And that really kind of started my journey with being in a small group, honestly. I showed up at a new church right after my parents divorced, met my best friend who we're still best friends with today, and like just kind of went on a pretty wild journey from there. I ended up at OU, got an engineering degree, got into oil and gas, and quickly met my wife. We've been married 15 years this year. Wow. Um, now, if I'm not mistaken, I actually didn't even have this in the notes. You had a job when you were in your teenage years that kind of a crazy scenario happened. Do you mind sharing that? I don't, it popped in my head last night as I was thinking about this interview. And I just thought, what a crazy, like you've gone through some crazy stuff. And do you mind yeah, sharing that? Yeah. Oh, I, I would love to. I haven't, I haven't thought about that in quite some time. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of odd jobs when I was growing up. My parents, like I said, divorced when I was 12 and, I have two younger sisters that are twins that are five years younger than I am. And man, I immediately kind of went into dad mode for whatever reason um, at that age. And so quickly started mowing lawns, doing odd jobs around the neighborhood. But one of my first jobs when I got my driver's license was at a grocery store. One of the elders at our church was a manager at a grocery store in kind of a rough part of Tulsa and got a job just as a cashier, stocking shelves, bagging groceries. One night, closing up the store, there were three of us there. Uh, we would lock the doors from the outside coming in, but obviously from the inside going out, they were unlocked. And I opened the door to go out into the parking lot to get a couple shopping carts and was trampled by three guys, all dressed in black with handguns and ski masks. And, you know, I was 16 years old at the time. The guy, you know, I hit the ground pretty hard. A guy jumps on me has me roll over, has a gun up against my head, and immediately they go to the night manager, who's kind of up in the manager's booth where the safe is, and, you know, threatened for the next several minutes to, you know, kill me if the manager doesn't get them the money. Ultimately, they got what they needed, ran out of the store, everyone was okay, no one injured, but boy, you talk about a wake-up call at 16 years old, a senior, you know, people say you see your life flash before your eyes. It was one of those moments where I really, I just knew that I was going to die in that moment. And it was a very sobering, uh, encounter with God. One of many, many future one, the start of many encounters with God. Wow. At 16 years old, like, did you have nightmares about this? Yeah. You know, this was, 
I did. It, it was it was haunting. Fortunately, the company that owned the grocery store required us to go to counseling, and I went to you know a counselor for a number of weeks, and they uh, basically diagnosed me with kind of a what what we now know as post traumatic stress disorder. And man, it it was strange. You know, I would go out at night and feel like someone was following me or man. someone's hiding under my car. I mean, just really awkward, paranoid haunting things of just not feeling safe and secure. And, uh, it was a very tough time. And, you know, I really wasn't emotionally mature enough to process it all. And by the grace of God, with some help and good friends and, and back to the youth group, I was a part of just friends coming alongside me and really, you know, being there for you when you need them the most. My, I, I can't, I truly can't even imagine having gone through that. I mean, that, that is just wild. And then I'm going to really shift gears here. This is a really hard shift. So then fast forward many years, and we have met each other, friends with you and your wife. Uh, at your wedding, I, I can't remember what exactly I was doing at your wedding, but I, I remember that. In fact, I even remember you and my brother-in-law and I went and played golf. And it was the first time I'd ever met you. And for the entire day, I called you by the wrong name. And yeah, I, I, you. Oh, I think you were a part of the uh, scouting crew just to make sure if, if she would she was allowed to marry me or not. And yeah, that was that was pretty. Uh, I, I think I just kind of went with it. You didn't did. I? All, you know, for about four hours. <laughs> yes. Oh man, you totally went with it. And then step fast forward another several years, and you just annihilated me in a cricket eating contest. The. I, Boy, you're wanting to go there. No, Man, no, 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 no. Stories on Jared Hogue. <laughs> wow. Let, we, if we want to go there, we can go there. No, no, we've got we've got uh, too much to cover and not enough time. So we've got we're gonna have to move on. Okay. Here. Okay. Um, well, maybe we'll, I can come back for a future <laughs> podcast and we can share some personal stories. I really hope that never happens. Uh, no, <laughs> we definitely will have you back because there's some stuff we're gonna cover that we're gonna have to touch. We're gonna have to catch up and find out how it's going later on, but. So you get married, you get in the gas and oil industry, and you really had a mindset and had some goals uh, very early on, which it sounds like kind of stems back to your childhood. You said you you really jumped into kind of dad mode, and you said you're, you weren't even really sure why. And then having this wake-up call at 16, you've got these really aggressive goals that you're striving for through your 20s. And you started hitting these goals and then had some really serious questions started questioning some things about yourself, about life. Um, and we don't necessarily have to go into all of it because I, I know Church on the Move did a beautiful story video on this, and we'll link to that in the show notes uh, for anybody over over at uh, theleadershippodcast.com if you want to go check that out. And um, But just kind of walk us through that. Like you, you, had a, you had established some very clear goals and were hitting them before you even turned 30. Yeah, it you know, just incredible. And like you said, I mean, my parents divorcing, being connected with good friends through church, some life altering events that, you know, that robbery being one of them. Uh, I think going into that dad mode, you know, I just, I was extremely focused when I went off to college and while I was at college, you know, determined I was going to do engineering. I'd always been somewhat strong in math and science, but boy, when I got out of school and started my career, I just, I knew where I wanted to go and I was going to do pretty much whatever I needed to do ethically to make that happen. And, um, you know, God's favor, God's blessing, no doubt about it, but man, was it, did it cost me a lot? And I think that's, 
one of those, um, am I proud of what I've accomplished? Yeah, to some extent. But I think the pain in that is it was a lot of success, but it cost me a lot. You know, to some extent, it's probably one of my greatest mistakes. You know, career became um, the ultimate goal. And I was willing to do time-wise kind of whatever it, it takes. And I've told people this, you know, my wife and kids really ultimately got cheated on and I cheated on them with work. And although, man, by 30, I'd kind of hit where I hoped to get to in my career, you know, maybe earlier than I had thought, position-wise, salary-wise, things of that nature. But man, it wasn't nearly as fulfilling, like you'll say in that video, but it wasn't nearly as fulfilling. It wasn't satisfying. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And man, at 30 years old, that was a very sobering wake-up call just to kind of look at what, where I had been, where I'd come and to think, man, all of that effort, work, dedication, and I'm still not happy. I'm not peaceful. I'm not satisfied. Wow. And so you, you essentially started asking some really tough questions to yourself and and even to God, right? Yeah. You know, as simple as it sounds, and that's what I love about the word, um, God I don't know if he hides it necessarily, but I think the keys to understanding for me have been in very simple things. You know, Matthew 7, 7 and 8 is really the ask, seek, not verse. And I, I really just started applying that principle. And I just turned 40 back in March. This would have been 10 years ago. Career, success, money, things, accomplishments. You know, I, I had a lot of those. Had a beautiful family, a dedicated wife. but my marriage was hurt. My wife was hurt. And ultimately I was the real loser in the deal. I'd missed out on probably the what, first five years of my oldest life, first three years of my middle son's life, just work consuming my time, effort, energy, focus. And man, I think the thing that helped not having that satisfaction, it brought me to a point where I had to ask God some tough questions and it, back to kind of the ask, seek, knock. Questions like, you know, what, what type of father am I supposed to be? What type of husband? What type of friend? What, what am I really supposed to be doing with my life? And, and honestly, kind of things like, is there more to life than this? Is this it? And um, it was really the beginning of, man, a decade-long just epic adventure. And what I, what I love about it is the questions that I was kind of asking, and I, I don't know that I realized it at the time, it, it kind of stirred me up in my core, my deepest desires. And they were open-ended of enough questions that only God could answer them. They weren't things that I could figure out. They weren't things that I could just work hard and get to an answer on. Wow. Do you, do you mind sharing a couple of the questions? Yeah, you know, kind of back to a few of the things I ran through, but man, it's just like I was so focused on career and success and providing a safe and secure home for my kids that I had drifted away from what am I supposed to be to them? And, you know, Andy Stanley has a, a, I love listening to him, but he basically points out in a book I recently read that, you know, there's two jobs you as a man have that no one can do for you, and that's husband and father. Um, everything else you do, you're essentially replaceable. We might like to think we're the only ones that can fill our job at church or we're at work, 
but man, are, we are replaceable. And I, I just didn't, wasn't connecting those dots. You know, I think what's sad is no matter how you spend your time, where you spend it is really where your loyalties lie. Mm. And of course we have to go to work, say from eight to five, but man, I traveled, worked weekends, did whatever it took to have success. And even though my heart, my family was in the first place, um, they can't see that heart. They see it with the time and effort and money you spend with them. And that really tells the whole story. So my questions were really somewhat selfish, but they were God questions of what, who am I supposed to be as a husband? What type of friend to my friends? What type of dad to these kids? Is this um, making a great career, making good money and being generous with that, helping others with that? Is that what I'm called to do? Is that my purpose? And, you know, purpose is a, is a very general statement, but man, when you start asking God questions and you pair that with seeking him, you know, he says you will find, and boy, that's what happened for me is big questions that I don't, didn't know how to get the answers to. And when I really started seeking him, boy, did the, the answers start coming. Wow. That's amazing. Do you think that some of your pursuit of career and as you put it you said that you wanted to provide you wanted to provide for your family and provide a safe environment do you think that stems some of that stems back to the kind of upbringing that you had that maybe there was some instability there i mean obviously with your parents going through a divorce that you were trying to make sure your kids avoided what you had to go through man that's very insightful and that's it i wish i saw it when I was in it. And now looking back, I think that was the whole reason why Um, we, I think all of us have this intention that we look at our childhood and we're going out on our own in our late teens and early twenties. And we want to take the good things we learned from our parents and apply them. And all the things we didn't like, we have this, um, this very, this zeal about us to fix those things. And boy, did I take those you know, I think our pastor at Church of the Move says this all the time, but there's a ditch on both sides of the road. And I think I just, I took those things to the extreme about providing safe, secure, dependable, strong home environment for my family. And what, what I missed in all that was, man, a huge part of that is, is me as a person, me as a father, me as a husband. Um, and I don't say that from a conceited standpoint, that's just how God designed us to live our lives and designed us as men to be. Man, that's, that's incredible. And I would encourage uh, all the young leaders out there that whether you're married, not parenting or not, um, to, to begin to ask those questions, uh, to begin to ask those questions of what does it look like to be a good spouse? What does it look like to be a good parent? Um, Because again, to reiterate what Brian said that Andy Stanley said is that those are the two unique roles we hold in life. And, um, those honestly, I, I, I've caught myself in that same trap in that career has become the most important thing. Making money has become the most important thing rather than the, the most important relationships that I have, man, Brian, I really appreciate you being so open about this journey. And again, folks will have the, the full story linked over in the show notes, as well as a talk he did at a men's breakfast, um, where he dives into some of this as well. That's very, very good. Um, you know, Jared, one yeah. thing I would add, yeah. and, and I'm really passionate about this, that I believe as men specifically, and I'm sure there's women listening to this too, and 
there's there's things we can all take away, I hope, from this podcast today. But I believe we, we need to be asking questions that have the potential to really change the course of our life. And as scary and risky as that may be, those types of questions, they, they led me and I believe lead people to a place of humbleness and awareness that, you know, God created us. We all know this very simple stuff here, but the creator is who understands what they created something for the purpose of that thing. And I just, man, if we're not asking, seeking, knocking at our creator's doorstep, what did you create me to do? I don't think we just randomly trip or fall into our purpose. We can easily try to logically or practically or even emotionally sense and feel that out and feel like maybe we're on the right path. And I'll tell man, you know, I'll admit I, I did that. And I ended up at a place of, you know, fairly emptiness after, a, you know, 10 to 15 years of a lot of effort and a lot of sacrifice. And man, if I could go back and tell my 16 year old self something, it would be that is forget trying to work hard or emotionally crack the code of what you're designed to do or what your purpose is. Um, there's only one person who knows that it's the person that created you. Man, that's good. Just to tag one more question onto this, is that something that was that's kind of an ongoing question for you that's like a recenter every once in a while? Or has it been like you really feel like you've got it and now let's go full bore towards it? Man, that's so good. And I do believe that back to Matthew seven, seven and eight, you know, after Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you. What I love about the second half of that verse, it says, for everyone who asks, receives, the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. I think some of those things imply that we should be continuing to do those things. You know, I look at them a lot more like a circle, and they're continually connected, and I'm consistently asking God tough questions. And I'm seeking, you know, in my quiet time, which is first thing in the morning, for, for answers, you know, because I know there's a promise that I'm going to find them. And, you know, knocking obviously is, is the critical last step. And it's, you know, it's something we're much more aggressively doing. And, you know, sometimes doors remain closed and you don't go through those doors, but man, when they open, we ought to be running through. Man, that's so good. And if you, if you don't mind, you mentioned your, your quiet time, you do it first thing in the morning. Um, kind of want to jump on this tangent real quick before we move on. Do you mind just sharing kind of what your quiet time looks like? Just real practically, like what you do. Do you have a normal sure. routine with yours? Does it vary from day to day or week to week? Just kind of walk us through what your quiet time looks like, if you don't mind. Yeah, the, for me, the content in my quiet time is extremely varied from week to week. But the, the, the time I set aside is extremely consistent. And man, my personal conviction for me and don't, push this on anyone else. It's just, man, God's got to get my first fruits. And that for me is first thing in the morning. Um, setting my attention and focus there, it really does set the tone for my day. And it allows me the rest of the day to have kind of a reference point or even something to fall back on. And it helps me just with perspective. It's a lens I can view my day through. So for me, man, I'm a huge fan of first thing after I've gotten woken up, some of it's a shower or a cup of coffee or whatever it may be. But when you've, when you've got your attention and you're awake, that's when I'm 
digging into books, the words, you name it. Now, the content of that, it's extremely varied. Everything from, you know, doing plans on the Bible app, reading books, to even doing deep dives into scripture. And what I love about, you know, technology nowadays is there's just some incredible tools. I mean, for me, I don't know how I would do my quiet time without the blue letter Bible. And for those of you that don't have it, you know, there's an app. They also have a website. The app will link you to the website, but you can go as deep as you want into the word through that app. And it's just extremely powerful. I don't know how I would study or understand what's going on without those commentaries and without getting back into the Greek and just understanding where the source material really came from. Man, that's really, really good and super helpful. So through this journey, um, and really this is going to go way back to when you were a kid as well, um, you actually started a, a ministry while you were uh, volunteering at at church while you were while you had your full time career called Mountain Men, and this is I I just love what you've done with this. I love the whole heart behind it. Um, give us kind of a nutshell version of what what this is and how you got started in this. Man, even you saying ministry and Mountain Men together. It gets me all excited, uh, and it doesn't seem real. I mean, I really have to kind of shake my head and think, man, I, I'm doing this? This is this is crazy. You know, it, I wish I had some great story to share with you where God spoke to me, and I was called to start this thing, and, man, we're just changing the world with it. But, man, my reference and relationship to God just hasn't been one that's filled with those types of callings. Um, I'm passionate about the mountains. My, my, a couple childhood friends and I got to go when we were uh, 14 years old to Colorado on a backpacking trip. Um, it, it was incredible. I'd never been to Colorado before, but being up in the mountains, it was just the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen before. And it was so easy to feel like God was real from a sensory perspective there. Mm. And as kids, we just never quit going. Small group of four or five of us continued to go through college. And, and once we got out of school and honestly, you know, once we got married, there was some tension around going to Colorado for a week and going backpacking on a guy's trip. Mm. And we were really forced to come up with a reason to justify why we were going. <laughs> so definitely didn't come out of the most pure intentions, but you know, <laughs> Lee and I kind of, uh, rallied the troops, if you will, and basically said, hey, we probably need to sharpen each other up on this trip. If we don't come back better husbands, at the time we didn't have kids, but if we didn't come back better husbands, then our wives aren't going to let us keep going on this thing. And so that started what I will say we now call mountain men. And what's been incredible is we, we would be going to trips in Colorado if no one else was going. But this year, this summer in August, we're taking 78 guys uh, to the mountains on wow. trips and just over 50 of those guys, this is, this will be their first trip. And the balance of those are return guys that are part of our leadership pipeline of guys leading trips. And, wow. you know, I've skipped a lot of steps in between, but basically in 2009, my best friend was pastoring a church, made some horrible choices. Um, we used the mountain trip that following year to really focus on more God and either leaving something behind or taking some ground in some area of our life. And it really just put what now we call mountain men on steroids. I mean, when you put God's word to the test, 
it's amazing what the results and what how he performs when that happens. And, you know, essentially we knew that we didn't have the answers. We don't have a program. We don't have a five-step system. What we knew is we could set the table and allow guys to have a great experience in the mountains and the rest is kind of up to them. And that's really taken a life of its own. The last five years, we've been calling it Mountain Men. I went through the nonprofit status stuff right now. But uh, it's just been incredible. And what I love about it is we do so little. Mm. Uh, I would be buying gear. I'm a gear junkie, planning trips, climbing mountains, whether anyone else is coming or not. Now we just get to do that and help facilitate, for me, 78 other guys doing that. And the life change, that's kind of what, that's got a God's business. I don't, I, you know, you can't really over promise what God's going to do or over promise how beautiful the mountains are going to be. So it's a pretty easy job being, a, you know, one of the founders of Mountain Men to take guys on really just kind of a, an epic journey. And the, the hope is guys are really getting more God. They're leaving something behind or taking some ground in some area of their life. And when they're coming back, they've had an encounter with God. Once you have an encounter with God, you're changed. Mm-hmm. And the people around you are going to be changed by that. And man, I've, I've seen it happen with so many men the past few years. And we are thrilled about the 78 men going this year. That's incredible. And I mean, it go, the, to me, it just ties in. Craig Rochelle, I think, says it so beautifully that whenever the leader gets better, the whole organization gets better. Now, whatever that organization looks like, that could be your home, that could be uh, your friend group, whatever the case may be. And so for an opportunity like this, Brian, if folks want to find out more about Mountain Men, it, where can they go to do that? Yes. Um, for starters, they can just reach out to me personally. And, I, you know, we'll, we'll have this here, and I'm sure at the end of the podcast as well. But brian at churchonthemove.com is my email address, or they can reach out to me on, on my number at 918-520-8762. We have a Mountain Men website that's in the process of being developed. And as soon as that's released, it'll be out there for public consumption as well. Awesome. And I I just wanted to tag that real quick. There's so many things that we could tackle uh, just from this part of the conversation, Um, just like finding your passion. I love that this was something like you did just when you were a kid, you loved it, um, you kept doing it, and then it kind of became like out of necessity, you had to find something. And even when we talked the other day, and maybe you even mentioned this just a moment ago and I missed it, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, when you initially wanted to start taking other people with you to the mountains, there was some pushback from your your best friend, right? Yeah, it, it really, it, you know, I don't think I can adequately explain how challenging this was. There were four of us that grew up together going to the mountains. And two of the guys that, you know, part of the four when I threw out there this idea that, man, we want to open this up and invite other people outside of our inner circle. And this would have been 2010, 2011. You know, they both were not ready for that. Mm. I mean, it was kind of our thing and, um, letting someone else come was going to mess that up. And we, I was, you know, Lee and I were very convicted about other men being able to come to this so much that it cost us a season of, close friendship with those two other men. And, you know, what I think is beautiful about that is those two guys are back coming on mountain men trips. One of them's on our board and, you know, going on his third trip in a row this year. So, I mean, it was some pain for a short season, but what I love is, man, things have been returned and are better 
now that other guys are coming than they ever would have been had it just been our little clique or our little group going on trips. And that's what I think is beautiful is, man, we have these, our personal plans, whether it be my career or even with Mountain Men and what we think this should be. But when we humbly submit under God's authority and basically say, hey, I'm not Mountain Men. This is just you doing life change with men. We're calling it something so people can understand what it is. But God, what are you, what are, what are we supposed to do with this? I mean, we're going whether anyone else is coming or not. Three guys come, 78 guys come. It doesn't matter. Mm. And when you're, it's just a, it's a open handedness is probably the best way to say it. And I think that is something that I've had to learn the hard way and really had to try to put to practice the last 10 years. It's not something that comes natural, but man, when we're open handed, it's amazing what God can do through broken, hurt sinners like me. Man, I, I love that so much. I love just the something that started so simple turned into what it is now. And I've I've heard the stories. I've known the guys that have gone on these trips, um, that have that have come back changed and have very clearly heard from God. And so, folks, if you're looking for something, I, I can't recommend it enough to check this out. I've not personally been yet, but it, it is on my list to get this done. Um, and you know, Brian, one of the other things I love is what you just said is you've got 78 guys going this year and there's no way for you or even you and Lee to facilitate all of that. You guys have developed leaders to where you're not even going on some of these trips. I think that's just unbelievable. You know, it's what's great about that is it's, uh, they're not a, the leaders aren't attracted to Lee and I, I mean, they're, what they are is they're, they were, their lives were changed by going on a mountain men trip and so much so that they just can't help themselves, but help other guys have a similar experience. No one of our mountain men team, we, we have summit teams. So our seven to eight guys are divided between nine different teams and we have seven to 10 guys on a team. We call them a summit team. They start meeting in March of every year monthly and start working out together in May and then go on a trip in August. That's five days long to Colorado, climb a 14er and then come back and are part of a more intense weekly small group from September to November. So that's, that's kind of the process, if you will, but none of those teams are, you know, they're not following a curriculum. We have kind of a vision and things that we value. And, you know, Lee and I spend a bulk of our time. We're on trips, but we're also, you know, equipping our leaders to just understand what what is the heart behind what we're trying to do. What what are some kind of rough milestones we want to achieve along the way? And, you know, it's really it's just vulnerability and trust on the front end. Guys, that can take a lot longer than, say, a women's group to happen. So we've got this time on the front end. You know, God does the the work and the mountains do the work. His creation does the work on the trip. And then we come back and it's really kind of the full bore accountability side of, man, you heard from God. And now I'm going to kind of, you know, help you along here and make sure you follow through with what he told you. And that's sometimes the hardest thing for us as men. If we pause our, just men and women, we pause long enough to truly hear from God. Are we willing to do what he tells us to do? And, uh, man, it's just kind of like that seed thrown onto the gravel. If you hear from God and you're not willing to really commit to putting it into practice. Wow. But man, getting off track here, the leaders, um, incredible guys, they don't, 
they don't all run a trip or manage or lead a trip the way I would. And what I love is I'm, I'm okay with that because I know that this isn't mountain men isn't for me. Um, yeah, I'm one of the founders of it and you know, we've had a lot of good ideas, but man, I learned so much from these leaders. They get together and have ideas around how we should tweak or change things we do all the time. And I just, I believe it's a body of men making mountain men work. And that's, it's just a new Testament picture of how Jesus intended the church to work and not saying we're a church. We're just a parachurch organization. Mm -hmm. But man, if you don't have other people around you that you can be open-handed with and trust and know that they can hear from God, just like you can, it's just, it's a lonely, tough road to haul if you're doing it by yourself. For sure. For sure. Man, that's so, so good. And so let's, uh, so you've got, you've got the career going on, you've got mountain men going on as as if you don't have enough already on your plate. Um, you know, you and I were volunteering together years ago and that's, that's ultimately how we really became friends. And, um, you, you, your wife and I were working in the kids ministry at church on the move. And that was a long time ago, but I mean, you've obviously stayed plugged in to the church for a long time, held a, held a variety of positions in the church from sections to small groups, um, working in the kids ministry, even all kinds of things. Um, and then now most recently, you've kind of moved into a new role of volunteering that I find incredibly interesting. If you'll tell us about that. Yeah, this is, it's been an incredible 2017, you know, in January of this year. Our uh, lead pastor, executive pastor, Whit George, tapped me on the shoulder and just asked if I would consider, you know, kind of volunteering, if you will, in a in a much different capacity at the church. And uh, it's it's been a it's been a journey and one that we're we're still on of trying to figure out what this looks like. But what he asked was, man, you've, you've volunteered in all these sort of areas, but with your business experience, your leadership experience, we'd really like to tap into that on our kind of executive team. And even specifically just with discipleship, with what's going on with mountain men. And, you know, he, he knows me personally and knows, knows that I believe I've essentially been in a small group since I was 12. And just think that discipleship is really at the heart of the church. And uh, especially in North America, we're not necessarily, you know, we don't have a lot of churches just knocking discipleship out of the park. And that was something that we're continually tinkering with and trying to be better at at Church on the Move. And, you know, as he asked me this, you know, just it really stirred something in me. Uh, man, am I, am I really willing to, um, to be a part of leading the change at the church instead of just volunteering in a role at supporting it? And, you know, it's just been, it's just been an incredible journey, you know, that every, you can't do it all. I can't be uh, at work 50 plus hours a week, help the church in a significant way and be the husband and father that I need to be. And so for me, it's been a little bit of a journey of, I've actually went to my employer and um, basically said, you know, I love what I do here, but first place in my heart, my passion is what's going on with mountain men and what's going on at my church. And, and my, my employers know that, but there's always been a balance with it. Mm. And, you know, what's been incredible is their response to that. I mean, I work at a secular company that private business owned by an individual, 
we we do a lot of great things in our industry. Have over a hundred different LLCs here that we're a part of leading and managing. And you know what was really special about the process is they opened the door up for me to still do what I do here at my company, but also be involved at the church in a much bigger way. And and with that, I know you said they opened the door. This was their idea, if I'm not mistaken. That like the way that this whole thing came about, it was your your employer's idea for this that it could work like this, right? It was. You know, I came as strange as this may sound, after Wit tapped me on the shoulder, middle of January. I took about six weeks and just trying to figure out, you know, what does this mean? What does this look like? You know, and really the initial offer was a was a full time job offer from the church. And, you know, am I willing to do that? And I think what was fascinating about it, obviously, salary is not comparable. Um, responsibilities are much different. I've never worked in ministry full time. I've always just been kind of a power volunteer at the church. But my wife and I, JJ, we really wrestled in our hearts with, are we willing to leave behind, you know, what we've done career wise for the last 20 years and fully commit to what the church is doing in, in more of a pastoral role? And, you know, when you start looking at the sacrifices that's going to take from what we have financially and, but you know, what we're passionate about lines up exactly with that. It was, it was a lot tougher choice than I would like to admit. You know, it's really kind of putting your money where your mouth is. Mm. And we, we made a decision essentially in our hearts and just said, all right, we're going to do this. We feel peace about it. Don't understand how it's all going to work, but we want to move forward with, you know, accepting this position at the church and really uh, I have, you know, getting way more detailed than you probably want to hear, but I'm invested in some entities, some companies, some LLCs here at my job. And the liquidity around those month to month didn't, I wouldn't get to be able to handle that with accepting the church's position. And so came into Kaiser the following week and just felt peace and conviction about being, like I said, open-handed with them about what was going on, what I was wrestling with. And as we got to talking about it, um, our CEO, CFO, and president basically kind of came to the conclusion there's no reason you can't, we want you here, there's no reason you can't stay here, and that we can't staff a little differently, and that you can't help the church in a much more powerful way. And so it's been beautiful, you know, so many details in between to connect all these dots. You know, the church wanted a full-time position, not someone part-time. And, you know, I had to, I basically declined their offer and they came back a few days later after hearing from some wise counsel and others and basically said, Hey, what if we used you in a part-time way? And that's really what we've been on a journey of the past 30 days is Kaiser, my company committing to, um, finding a solution here of how to free up some of my time, tap into what they need most for me and allow me to spend time during the week at Church on the Move, helping in a much higher capacity. And then Church on the Move basically saying, okay, we're not going to have all of Brian's time. How do we use him to hit the highest capabilities to help what we're doing with discipleship and with the church? And so it's been, we're going, we've both sides, we've kind of committed to a 90-day process of really unpacking that and, and doing things that are healthy and remaining friends through all this. But uh, it's been at a really exciting time. And what I love about it is, I could honestly say that, man, the past 30 days 
although challenging, um, demanding, uh, not, you know, not wanting to lose focus if I can only be father and, and, um, husband, those are my primary first two jobs, but man, through all of that, an incredible amount of peace. And I just, man, things jumping off the page at me in the new Testament of, you know, we're not, I don't think that it's just as simple as being called to ministry or working a secular job. I hope this is a beautiful playbook that we can create here of how Church on the Move and other churches can really tap into um, leaders out there and use them in unique ways. And I think, you know, what I love about this opportunity is, to some extent, my company is subsidizing Church on the Move, reaching people and discipleship. And it's so much uh, a bigger story than me coming to my company and having tough conversations. It's an open-handedness. It's a door that's open that I'm walking through. But at the end of the day, it's really about God ministering to people. And it's just such a bigger picture than just about us. And honestly, that's what I've, those are the simple things I've learned over the last 10 years of just changing my orientation a little bit, asking some tough questions, led me to an incredible opportunity of being able to work, do what I love, do what I'm passionate about at church and make it all work. Essentially, I would have never asked for this or thought this was going to happen 10 years ago, one year ago, or even in January when Whit tapped me on the shoulder. So it's, it's, it's incredible. We're still figuring it out. I wish I could tell you I knew exactly what it was ultimately going to look like, but um, it's been a really exciting time. Man, I'm, I am so excited for this journey, and I, I've, I've been, been able to kind of watch it from an outside perspective. And I love so much. There's so many things I want to jump in on this, but the first of them being kind of what you said there, that it's it's not that it has to be that it, you're either in the church or you're in the marketplace. And honestly, this is something I've wrestled with for years because um, I have such a love for business. Um, but at the same time, I have a love for the local church, too. And like I always kind of viewed it as it's this or this. And my wife has really right. challenged me in that. And that why does it have to be one or the other? And then I, I kid you not, Brian, when, when you told me that this is what you were doing, Ashley just goes, see, <laughs> it can, <laughs> it can be both. And so I love she it. Gotcha. She really did with your help. <laughs> she got me real good. And so I, I love, I love it though, because I've heard Carrie Newhoff talk about this and Rick Warren talk about this is that like the church and business really aren't that different. And now the end goal might be a tad different, but, but, and, and one has eternal implications, right. but, but it, I also think that businesses can too, because ultimately God didn't say you're all to go be pastors. He said, you're to go into the world and reach the lost. And so whether that's in the church or in the, the, the marketplace, it doesn't matter. Our call as Christians is people. And so I, I've heard people say before too, we need more pastors out in the marketplace and I would then contest, we need more business minds in the church. Uh, you see these right. amazing churches that are just exploding, like Church of the Highlands and Life Church and New Spring. And, and, and not that they're the only ones reaching people. It's just that they are reaching huge amounts of people. And it's not about the numbers. It's the people behind those numbers, the stories that those numbers represent. And that for us to get out there and have the maximum amount of impact that we can have, 
There's so much that you've learned in your career that you're able to bring now to the church setting and improve on systems and processes and things like that, that the, and, and building into other leaders of what an incredible foundation that Church on the Move already has, but to be able to springboard from that into the future for the next 10, 20, 30 years to come, it's so exciting to me to see this happening. And I can't wait to have you back in, in six months or a year and see how this whole thing is transpiring, how it's morphing into this. And, and hopefully some of the churches out there and even young leaders, if you're not the point leader out there listening to this, who do you have serving in your youth ministry, on your music team, on your creative team, in your kids right. ministry, like Brian? Because Brian has been involved in kids and youth for a very long time. So who do you have like that, that you can pick their brain? Who do you have that you can bring in on a very part-time basis as a volunteer to, to leverage their knowledge and to leverage the gifts that God has placed inside them to improve the ministry that you do have some say-so in? I just think this is awesome. Um, and, and Brian, if there's anything you want to say on that, by all means, cut me off and jump in. Otherwise, I want to I want to tackle one other thing on this is I think one thing that's so amazing about your relationship with Kaiser <laughs> is the amount of favor you had in this process that you weren't even the one that presented right. the idea. They came to you and said, as one of the owners, it, like you said, you're invested in uh, several stakes of this company. You're a part owner of, of multiple pieces of this, if I'm if I'm not mistaken in saying that. Right. And um, you're a very high level leader. You're very well respected in your organization. Um, and, and, you know, I think one thing we, we talk a lot about in the church world is the favor of God. And, and I believe in it fully. Um, but one thing I think we oftentimes we pray for favor. We ask God for favor, whether we're driving through the mall parking lot, wanting a close space or wanting a good deal on something or any other number of things. We pray and ask God for favor. But I, I just have to believe that there was more to it than that. Not, not that God didn't do his part. He clearly did. But You're exactly right. I, I really feel like you had to have done something uh, in this process to gain the amount of favor that you had for this to play out. You know what? It's very insightful and so true. You know, I think we're, who's, we're all guilty of thinking of favor like you're talking about. You know, we're at the grocery store. We want that. It's packed on a Saturday. We want that upfront spot. And in in an instant in time, we're asking for favor. Man, that's not how it's worked for me personally. It's really been kind of the principle of the seed that we so often see in parables and what we see God saying. It's you plant a seed and there's time it takes. You got to water that. And then there's ultimately a, a reaping time, a harvest time. And for me, I've been at Kaiser seven years. Seven years ago, when I took a job here, I was at a crossroads. I could stay at the company I was at, which had just come out of a painful bankruptcy. I could go to a company in Tulsa that was just booming, or I could come to Kaiser. Those were my three options. Kaiser was the lowest paying one, and definitely um, from a from a few other standpoints, maybe the least attractive on the surface. And at that time, you know, I had a tough decision to make, and just wanted to know that I knew that I knew I was going to be going to the right place. And the slightest bit of peace, it wasn't an encounter with an angel or some clear, loud voice. It was just this subtle piece of just thinking, man, Kaiser's where, where I'm supposed to be. 
And it was a tough conversation at home. And my wife's extremely supportive, but of just, man, why? And it's just, man, I wish I could tell you more than this, but I just, that's where the peace is in this decision. And although it wasn't significant, it was, it was obvious. And, you know, it wasn't very glamorous year one. Um, I needed, I needed some health. I had just come through a year long bankruptcy at a company I'd been with for seven years. You know, things were a little unhealthy for me through that process, my attitude, my approach, my work ethic. And, you know, I had some time to some freedom to really heal up. And man, after that first year, things really took off for me here at Kaiser. And it, they weren't really things that I created, honestly. They were opportunities that the company was positioned to go tackle. And because I was on staff, I had a unique set of experience and talents. And they were things that the company had not done before. And I just happened to be one of two or three people that kind of even knew anything about these certain parts of our industry. And that created a huge opportunity for me that's grown into what it is today. And really, we have a number of businesses now that I've been a part of creating that we couldn't have done unless this set of talents were, were kind of here. And although at the time I felt like I was kind of pushed off in the corner, man, God used me in a powerful way, but it started with real simple things and it was just obedience. It's not very glamorous. It wasn't a prayer of, man, I want all this stuff or I want this position. It was, I had some choices to make. There seemed like there were several open doors. None of them on the surface seemed bad, but it was asking God some tougher questions of, man, where would you have me go? And being willing to choose something that didn't, didn't add up, didn't seem as good as the others. And man, you know, I just feel like there's been a hundred incremental, incremental questions and decisions like that along the way where it's not been a, a work ethic thing, or I've went out and found the deal that's just revolutionized Kaiser. It's I'm in the spot where God has asked me to be and been faithful with those things represented hopefully him well here, treated people with dignity and respect and loved people as Christ would love people. And it kind of leads you to a place of just awe to some extent on what's happened this year where, you know, people that I respect and work for trust me enough to be able to balance both and pay me to volunteer at my church. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. And it's not, I never saw that. I didn't ask for that. I didn't, the favor has been there though. And it, it's traced back and, and rooted in just being obedient. So I wish it was a glamorous, man, th these are the three steps. But I think when you're faithful with the small things, the hard, smaller choices, man, it's, it's so true that you're rewarded with much bigger things. Man, that's so good. That's so, so good. Well, just to kind of wrap up our conversation here, one question we like to ask all the leaders that come on the show here, um, and the biggest reason we ask is I think a, a lot of young leaders think that going from point A to point B is a, just a straight line, that it's all successes, that it's wins the whole way, um, that you just go, God takes you from A to B, A being where you are, B being where you believe God's calling you to go. When in reality, once you get doing this for a while, you realize that it's, it's a lot more messy than that. Um, it, it's, it's more of a squiggly line with some, some missteps and, right. and that kind of thing. And so Brian, in your, in your journey, um, through, through, uh, your career, your family, whatever the case may be, what would you say is a misstep or maybe a mistake that you made along the way? And, and then not only that though, but then how did you recover from 
that that misstep or mistake? You know, we 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 hit on this earlier, and it and it's really this abuse of my time. You know, if, if I'm going to cheat anywhere in my life now, it's going to be, and I and this is may offend some people, but I'm going to cheat at work. I'm not going to cheat at home. And where I spent, you know, from my early 20s up through 30, and even into my 30s trying to figure some things out and get some answers, is I always cheated home and never cheated work. I mean, there was never a question. It wasn't something I struggled with, I wrestled with. It was just, I'm dedicated, I'm this employee, I'm going to do that. And I mean, huge misstep. And I mean, it, it could have ended. And my wife, you know, thank goodness we're both extremely stubborn or it probably would have cost me my marriage. I mean, we went through some really tough things, um, around the time we were 30, um, before we had Eleanor, our three-year-old and, uh, you know, losing, uh, some miscarriages, a stillbirth, just some really tough challenges in our life. And my marriage was not where it should have been to handle those seasons of pain. And it was all my fault. Um, my wife knew I loved her, but she also, in her heart of hearts, believed that work was first place because that's where, that's what got my attention. I mean, if there was a need at work and I needed to be gone three weeks and there was a lot going on at home, there was just no question in my mind of what I had to do. It stinks, but man, work's got to get the best of me. And when there's time, you're going to get 100% of me when I'm home. And what I've learned, man, that is not how God created us. And I, I believe there's some, uh, where I learned the principles are da- in Daniel, his story with King Nebuchadnezzar mm. of going through some trials and tribulations and how he dealt with the pressure of that. He wasn't hasty about it. He wasn't rude about it, but he made a decision real early on that he wanted to go a different way. And he came up with a plan. And then kind of put it to a test. And I think those simple principles, and I've, I've heard Andy Stanley talk about those, I've applied them to my life over the last 10 years, are, were really key for me of just saying, man, what would this look like? What if I really committed to being there for my family um, and basically said, I'm not going to let work get in the way? What would that look like? And what for me, you know, it's, it, it, starts in open-handedness with your employer in doing that and them understanding what you're doing, but also to see God show up, you got to have the God factor for all that to work because mm. it, it's not natural to leave the office at five. If everyone else is going to be here until six or six thirty, or to say no to a, an important business trip because your son's got a baseball game, uh, one that may grow your company or benefit your company. So, I mean, if you're going to sacrifice those things, you got to have some help to kind of connect the dots. And so, you know, that's been my biggest mistake. And man, what I would love to, you know, grab some people on the shoulder and shake them that are going down that same path is, man, you end up in a place of, yeah, do you drive a nice car? Do you have a nice house? But it's very empty. Um, You know, when you're asking really tough questions and really hearing from God and relying on the God factor, man, it's it's life changing. It's where you're going to find your purpose. One one quick follow-up question. I really appreciate you being so transparent on that. Um, is when you when you made this decision to make the change, was it something that like 
you noticed a difference in your family overnight or was it was it a process to to really prove that hey this is this is what i'm doing now you know i wanted to quit the change over the first year it was not instant um i don't think my wife and kids especially my wife believed the change um it it required some consistency and some sacrifice um to kind of make up, if you will. And what's sad, Jared, is I didn't really make up for anything. What At the end of the day, the real loser was me. Uh, I missed years of my two boys, part of their life, first part of their life. And they don't remember much of that. Um, they, they may hear it from me or from their mom. But man, the real loser in this deal, it was just me. Uh, my wife was so supportive of... Um, my career and success and all that, but I missed out on building, you know, the strong foundation we needed. We've had to go back and level some things and, and, and rebuild. And man, are we in a good place now? Yeah. But man, this is 10 years ago. This, you know, this has been a process. Um, it's not something that we just figured out after a year or two. And although I feel like I'm in a healthy place, it's, I definitely, there's an edge to me that basically says, man, you can't take your eye off asking, seeking, knocking. You can't take your eye off this focus because I'll go right back to where I was. And, uh, you know, maintaining and improving is is a critical part of it for me. And that's why I feel like that ask, seek, knock is such a circular thing. It's all right. What's next? Mm-hmm. Our kids' ages are different. My challenges at work and with the church are different. Um, I'm back in that loop of, of asking and seeking right now. Uh, what are the right steps to take at Kaiser and church on the move and balancing with my family? I mean, those, those pressures and maybe even temptations, they don't just go away because you make a decision. Man. So good. So, so good. Uh, Brian, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate you t- just taking a few minutes to talk with us. And if anybody out there is listening and wants to get in touch with you, if you want to go ahead and hit us with that email address or whatever method of contact is best for you. Yeah, I would love to hear from anyone that has any questions. Um, please feel free to reach out to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at churchonthemove.com. You can find me on Facebook, Brian Job, J-O-B-E, or you can get a hold of me on my phone at 918-520-8762. There you have it, folks. Uh, man, again, Brian, thanks for coming on the show. And all the notes and contact information will be available over at leadershippodcast.com if you want to get a hold of any of that. Uh, And folks, until next time, uh, we will see you later. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Leadership Podcast. We have loved having you. Hey, if you got any questions, you got any comments, uh, maybe you want to ask Jared, uh, maybe talk a little bit more about the weather in Boston or maybe uh, schedule a visit to go hang out with him. uh, You can find us online at creative underscore sheep. And uh, that is uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Once again, thanks so much for subscribing to this show. Um, And if you don't know how to subscribe, in whatever app you're listening to this this episode in, you can find a little subscribe button by the Leadership Podcast icon. You can hit that and you'll be notified every time we release a new episode. Hey, thanks so much for listening. We will see you next time. Farewell. Farewell.